Should marriage still involve changing a woman's surname and why? An excerpt from this week's opinion by a Master of Laws student. Master of Laws, this is big stuff, big, big stuff. It's a Master of Law candidate at the University of Kozulu Natal. Leona Chivenga, she says, uh, a deeply embedded patriarchal practice assumes that a married woman must change her na- surname uh, to that of her spouse. This was standard practice at the Department of Home Affairs, uh, as the officials there would automatically change the surname of the newlywed wife to that of her husband, sometimes even violating the wife's express intention to keep her maiden surname and uh, not uh, involve uh, the husband's surname. And a pleasure and a privilege on uh, this Monday morning as we step into level one that to say good morning and welcome to Liliana. Good morning, Liliana. Hello, Liliana. Good morning this morning. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? How's the weather in Kezaran? Um, It's cold. Cold, but let's hope it gets warmer during the day. Uh, well, you are always warmer. I suppose if I got there, for me it would be just be warm, warm, warm all the way. <laughs> Thank you for joining us and for waking up so early. How's Heritage, Heritage Month going for you? Uh, sorry, Manda. Heritage Month. How is it going so far? Um, it's going great. It's a lot of. Removing, re-imaging, and remembering, it's, it's been a lovely month. I mean, Heritage Month is a celebration of cultural diversity in South Africa, and it's a month meant to capture the essence of the Rainbow Nation. So it's been going great. And speaking from a legal perspective, I mean, we celebrate the hybrid legal system that we have in South Africa in our laws and policies, especially in the Constitution, and how they've been formulated to reflect the history of South Africa and the many vastly different cultural groups. So it's not easy to achieve unity through law when enacting legislation we celebrate diversity and unity to promote respect for cultural identities. But it's been going great. So reflecting and remembering where we are coming from has has been a beautiful month for the legal system, I would say. Yeah, you know, as a lawyer, when you say achieve unity, and I'm thinking, lawyers, are they supposed to achieve unity? They should be on opposite sides all the time. Um, we actually are supposed to achieve unity. Every single interaction that you have is governed by the law. So we do achieve unity. For you to have peace, for there to be unity, we do need the law. So yes, we do work towards achieving unity. The work that you do at the university, you, you lecture as well. Um, slightly, just a bit, but not entirely. It was just during the COVID time, so I'm mostly just a student at Chikesri. Sure, yeah, no, it's rough. I mean, when you get to a master level, it means no more social <laughs> life. Um, actually, you do get a bit of a better social life at master's level than in undergrad, um, because then now you're interacting with people in the legal field and when you do interact with people in the legal field, they don't treat you as a student student, they treat you as a peer. But I think it actually gets better as you go along. 
Yeah, yeah, an interesting place to be in. Now, your your blog as well, very successful, touching on very serious issues. One of them kind of scared me because I don't know how to, uh, you know, navigate the social media space after reading that uh, that one blog. Which one was that? The one about uh, rating people on their sexuality on YouTube. Oh, yes. That's actually one of my favorite pieces. Uh, so, Manta, you know, this game, um, or maybe your listeners might, this game called Smash and, Smash and Pass that people do, content creators on YouTube do. So, like a group of girls, a group of guys sit down, and then they decide, like, let's say, top 10 hottest Joburg guys. And then they decide, then they put their pictures, and then people go smash or pass, like um, they find them attractive sexually or they do not. And it is actually sexual harassment to do that. But because content creators, it is, it is a trending game. It garners a lot of viewership for their YouTube channels. They just do it. So they do not understand that they're actually perpetuating sexual harassment and could get sued for sexual harassment. Defamation of character and could also get harassment against them and protection orders taken out against them. But, you know, people do not really know how to use social media legally. So we're constantly violating laws and regulations on social media. Yeah, well, I'm in a safe space. There's no way I'm going to get to that level where I'm voted for as <laughs> sexy. So I'm safe. Yes, you are. But have you read the one on defamation of character so that you know if you're defaming anyone, it might not be you who's defaming somebody, but maybe you've retweeted a photo where somebody, where somebody has been made into a meme or maybe you've reshared a post where people are saying untrue things about somebody. Or maybe those things are true, but they're not really being shared for community benefit. They're just being shared to taunt this person and to humiliate this person. So are you also aware that you might also be defending somebody's character, not necessarily by the content you create, but maybe by the content that you shared, you've screen grabbed, you've taken from one social media site to the next social media site? Yeah. You make it sound like every time I want to tweet, I must get in touch with you. Liliana, can I tweet this? Um, let's see, section 26 says yes. Then I can. Actually, to save you the trouble, if you just read my article on defamation of character that's on my blog, it's going to explain everything to you, what defamation of character is, how you can protect yourself from defaming people. And the good thing about it is, well, the good, not so good thing about it is, your apology can always be as loud as your disrespect. So if you do realize, oh, no, I've read this blog and now I understand that what I did is actually defaming someone, you can always apologize, but make sure that your apology is as loud as you disrespect. Sigh of relief. Liliana Chibanga is a Master of Law student at the, the University of KwaZulu-Natal. She talks to us at the moment about uh, this surname, this burning issue about whether to take the surname or not to take the surname. And I wonder what the potential has been for many who've made the choice. Stay with us. SFM has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that is fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech, or contain violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. PO Box 142365. 
Craig Hall 2024. Fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit www.bccsa.co.za. SAFM. The move to alert level one will mean a further easing of restrictions on gatherings, social, religious, political and other gatherings will now be permitted as long as the number of people does not exceed 50% of the normal capacity of a venue or the facility. But this must only be to a maximum of 250 people for indoor gatherings and 500 people for outdoor gatherings. SAFM, your COVID-19 lockdown talk radio station. Hashtag SAFM Sound Awake. Liliana, our guest at 19 minutes to 5. Liliana, let's talk about your piece. We don't need new names. Tell us about that. What are you what are you on? What are you getting to here, sister? Um, so the piece was actually inspiration from Twitter. Like there was a heated argument on whether women should change their surnames and why they should do it. And I wanted to give people like a historical and legal perspective on name changes and like throw in a legal opinion for debate. So after the outrage on Twitter, I asked the married women in my life how they felt about changing their names. Obviously, my mom is married, so she did the traditional thing and she changed her name. So I asked such women how they felt that they had to change their name. And then I heard how most of them just say that the home affairs makes you do it. And I thought, but that's not even the law. So that's when I realized that because people do not understand that the law governs their irregular interactions, sometimes they think some things are law, but they're actually not law. For instance, changing of their surname. They think that they're actually required by the law to do it. When you think they're not, they do have a choice to keep their surnames, to change their surnames to those of their husbands, or to actually hyphenate their surnames to those of their husbands. Yeah. So you're saying even all the people, that, there are those who have this unhappiness and haven't taken, uh, you know, the next surname. Absolutely. I mean, um, imagine women now, as unlike the 1960s, Women now, we go to school, we graduate through university, then we get married. And then during this entire time, you've sort of been establishing like your own brand name. I've been known as Chivenge my entire life. And then upon marriage, I now need to give up the way I've branded my blog, the way I've branded my website, the way all the articles that I've written, my degree was attained under my, my name. Obviously, I would have some grief and some bitterness over changing my name. But then for some women, they welcome that advancement, they welcome that tradition because they want to. And for some women, they really say that they're tired of their surname for various reasons, and they want to change their name. So unless it's a personal choice, it really shouldn't be something that's enforced on somebody. It shouldn't be something that we force women to do or make them think that they should do, when in fact they don't need to do it. So they need to make an informed choice about it. From a legal perspective, is there a law that governs these things now? Because I'm thinking now, 25 years into democracy in South Africa, there could have been uh, some uh, adjustments made. Um, so there's never, there's never been a law in practice that says that women need to take uh, the sentence of their husbands. Like, it has never been a legal rule. But it's just that um, there's Section 26 of the Death and Death Registration Act. So that um, 
that section has a which a very highly unconstitutional provision, which presumes that upon marriage, women might want to take this, uh, the surnames of their husbands. But you see, when you put certain things into law, taking into account a patriarchal background that we have and certain traditions, what the law basically did unknowingly, it basically created a presumption and a, a stage for home affairs, for women, for laypersons to think that women must automatically change their surnames as those of their husbands. So Section 26 is the one that has been misinterpreted into saying that women should actually change their surnames. But there's actually no law that says that women should change their surnames. In fact, the Department of Home Affairs issued a circular in 2016 to the effect that home affairs officials must be very cautious and careful and make sure that they do not end up forcing women into changing their surnames. So home affairs officials do know that they need... Home affairs officials do know that they should not force women to change their surname, but then they continue to do it because of that particular section that has made, that was due to the Section 26 of the Birth and Death Registration Act that has led to that assumption and presumption. In, in practice, though, do, do you think that uh, home affairs officials do pose that question or make the married couple aware uh, the provisions that are there for them to make the choice? Or... Is there some way to say to people, when you go to home affairs, be aware you should have discussed this because this is the question you're going to be confronted with? That's usually what happens. So for a lot of people, um, like you're saying, maybe it's also lack of communication amongst couples before they actually go to home affairs to register their marriage, that this is what we're doing. But the thing that's also been happening is for most people, you might have discussed, I'm keeping my surname when you leave the house. Then you get to home affairs. Then the lady at home affairs asks you three times, you see, are you sure? So the constant badgering and the constant, are you sure that you want to keep your maiden surname? Are you really sure that you want to keep your maiden surname? And now it's also you're now wondering, mm, is there something that we're missing? And then maybe, so it has been so bad that in some circumstances, they would even go as far as telling you that you love your husband. Or oh, this is good because when you finally try to take the birth certificates of your children, it is going to be easier if all of you are traveling under the same surname. So they would even give you reasons. So home affairs was going a step further. Instead of just registering marriages, they were now going a step further into being marriage counselors, which is not their realm, which is not something that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to offer an administrative service, but because of the notion and the traditional norm that women must change their surnames upon marriage, home affairs officials found themselves trying to enforce that choice on women. With the, I don't know if it's passed, but I think it was, I speak under correction here, the recognition of traditional marriages, as it were. What does the law say in that regard? So under the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act, all of those marriages, um, they do have certain governing sectors of their own, but customary marriages are also treated as civil marriages. Like they are treated as, they are treated as all marriage, they are treated as marriages under the Marriages Act, they're treated as civil unions under the Civil Unions Act. So the laws that are applicable to civil unions, to marriages under the Marriages Act, are also the same laws that apply to customary marriages. So they do not have, even if there are seven wives, all of those seven wives also have a right to keep their own surname. There is no way in the um, RCNA, the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act, where it says that customary, women married under the Customary Marriages Act must change their surnames to those of their husbands. They are still governed by the same laws, and there is not a law in South Africa 
that requires women to change their surnames upon marriage. The idea of uh, double barrel surnames, is it because the, these women have been, you know, mulling over this saying, I don't want to lose my maiden surname, I want it on all official documents, or to say that I want it to be seen, like someone like you who's yet to be married and decide to go double barrel, did it come from that point? I, I think it did. And also, it also came from the fact that even if it wasn't uh, a world practice phenomenon, it also came from when the laws also realized that, um, so according to the European Court of Human Rights, and it also does say that in addition to keeping your own name or to changing it into your husband's surname, you also can double barrel your surname. So yes, double barreling also goes hand in hand with saying that I would like, so it's for women who want to emulate that tradition, who want to take on their husband's surname for personal and private reasons, but also want to keep their own identity. I mean, Surnames are part of our fundamental heritage. They are part of our fundamental identity. Your name is who you are. So if you want to hold on to your name, but also want to emulate certain parts of tradition and culture, you might want to change and double bury your surname. You know, many of us operate under the assumption that, you know, the whole thing about taking on the husband's surname is standard practice the world over, except in you know, in certain parts of the world. Is that the case? Do you see it changing? Um, the funny thing, Mandla, is actually that um, every single thing, all the things that we want to cling on under the guise of tradition and culture, were not even the norm 200 years ago. Tradition is not segment. It is a reflective of the needs of society at the time. So we must always ask why something became a tradition and not take it as law simply because it feeds on some patriarchal stances. So, for example, surnames were actually not even part of our legal history until, yeah, just about slightly under 200 years ago. Before then, we actually did not even have surnames. And when we did get surnames, um, when surnames became part of, like, legal documents, because we obviously weren't documenting deaths and deaths then, when surnames became part of deaths and um, death and death registration, you realize that only certain countries, maybe those which follow, like, a Roman Dutch system, and the English law and those which follow the U.S. legal system emulated uh, the thing of maiden surnames and uh, married surnames. But you realize that in some parts, like in Quebec, Quebec even has a law which forbids people from changing the names that they are born with. And during the French Revolution um, in 1789, obviously it was to protect the caste system, they had a law, which is still being applied now, which says that you cannot change your name, the name that you're born with, if you're born as Liliana Chivenge, you're going to die as Liliana Chivenge. The same is also the same with Italian women, Malaysian women, and South Korean women. So this is actually not like a widely practiced tradition. It is only practiced in um, legal systems which follow the African customary legal system, those which follow the U.S. legal system, those which follow English law, and those which follow the Roman and Dutch law. So it is just a practice which is just rooted in patriarchy and has no legal basis or legal standards. It's just in a tradition that was taken and then people are just applying it. But it has no legal basis. If people are going to be actively entertaining this and thinking about this, uh, he, I don't know, it might create quite a few skirmishes from uh, your family dynamics. Uh, did, did you find that uh, that was the case with the people that you spoke to? Um, that people have different opinions on taking their surnames. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking now, we've been dating for so long and we've taken it for granted that this is the issue. We get there and, uh, you know, 
the officials say this is the option and you suddenly want to change that. Ish. And I'm thinking, hi, man. <laughs> Kanti, what, what gives? Well, during relationships, people do have conversations about their future and, you know, how they envision how they're going to get married. So you obviously know the same way as we're going to get married with a prenup, we're going to get married out of community property or in community property. It's the same way you're going to have a conversation about, but I would like to keep my surname and you can keep your surname. So besides, we do, women have fundamental rights to their own names and forcing them to change their surname is actually like a violation of the right to equality and the right to privacy and by extension, their right to dignity. So on a rights basis, we are entitled to keep our own surnames. Hey, because from a business perspective, you always find uh, that uh, sometimes not even in business, just generally when you do, you know, doing a lot of things with people, there's always the question, are you married? And people will always say, why are your surnames different? And by the virtue, by virtue of the fact that the surnames are different, processes of concluding any kind of transaction take longer. But you see, that is just the stance that we've taken. That is just a perception thing. Administrative processes and bureaucratic processes do not need to be more difficult because people are married. And you see, Manza, that thing is also something that is also perpetuated by Department of Home Affairs people, by marriage officials, the church, by general people on the street, that it is going to be very difficult for the married couple to get a birth certificate for their child. It is going to be very, very difficult for them to travel under the same name. It is going to be difficult for you to apply for a mortgage. But then it is actually not the case anymore because we are in 2020 and we have civil unions now. So we have so many various forms of marriages and people are also in partnerships. So they're not married married, but they are in a lifetime partnership. So because we have different uh, modes of families that we now have now in 2020, it is not an administrative hassle because we have different surnames. It is just something that we have believed, a perception that is in people's minds that this is going to make it extra difficult. But that's actually not the case. It is just as simple as it is for everybody else. Can we take it for granted that uh, there will be some men who also want to take on the wife's surname? Is it happening? Is it going to happen? Is this what women want to see happen? Well, the problem with laws that assume that women will automatically want to take their husband's name is that it is not just a disadvantage for women. It is also a disadvantage for men. So there have been cases where men have wanted to take on their, uh, the synonyms of their wives for various purposes. And in so many of those cases, for starters, to be able to do that, unlike for women where it's an automatic change, for men you need to fill out a deed of change of name. Like it's a whole lengthy process, a whole legal process, where you even need to write your reasons for wanting to do it to the director of home affairs. Yet for women it's just as quick as you're changing it today. It's an automatic process. So for men, for the fact that what happens if men want to actually do it and then the law makes them jump through hoops and hurdles? And in some cases, the case, those cases have been rejected and then the men have also applied, appealed to the courts to say that I wanted to change into my wife's name, but um, I, was not allowed to do based, I was not allowed to do that based on this particular reason. So that perception is not only negatively impacting on women by forcing them to change their surname, but it's also negatively impacting the men who wish to change their names and skills of their wives. I wonder what the, the, the statistics are in that case, because top of my head, I can think of uh, Susan Pofu Walsh, who took on uh, the second surname of his wife. And there's a guy who used to be on television, Rian Fanta. They used to call him the Nutsman. He married uh, Michelle Gafford. 
Gafford, yes. and he became Rian Gafford Fanta in South Africa. Now, now because of um, hyphenating surnames, uh, we're seeing a trend where more men are now also saying that um, they are also trying to shy away from that uh, traditional norm that women are the property of their husbands. So whatever is the property of their husband gets the name of their husband. So to actively show that they do not own anyone and this is an equal partnership, they all decide to take each other's surnames. So the man also hyphenates his surname with that of the wife and the wife hyphenates his surname with that of the, um, his wife. Of course, people then tend to ask, so what happens when your children also decide to hyphenate, hyphenate their surnames? So now when they get married, they have four surnames that, you know, that's just the case for the children when they finally do decide to get married. You, I see some cultural challenges, yeah, because this needs more discussion. Because I, I know at the University of KZN, at some point, the traditional doctor on site was dealing with that issue with regards to surnames and children and some of the challenges people are facing. Where can we read the, the article and how much, where can we find more of your writings, uh, Leonel? Um, so I have a blog. It's called Musings of Chief Justice Tirenge. at found on at chivenge.art.blog, C-H-I-V-E-N-G-E dot art dot blog. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Titanium Queen, where I constantly give you updates on what's happening on my blog. So yeah, my blog is the first place where you can read more about the articles that I write on, and you can also read um, this particular opinion piece that we're talking about. On my blog, it's called We Don't Need New Days. Sure, Leonora. All right, yeah. You started something, but uh, it's worth talking about. The sooner we do, the better it's going to be for many of us. Thank you for joining us. We will tell you more about what the brothers are saying because I can see, hear them going, hey, my daughter.